All right. I want you to notice what it says there in First uh, Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. It says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better." If the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. I want to point out a couple things in this passage. First off, notice how he tells you, he's telling us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. And then he tells us too, you know, he wants us to have a good conscience. You know, because there's going to be people that are going to speak evil against us. There's people that talk against us as Christians. It's amazing how... The world today is looking at us like we're the bad guys. And they'll talk about like we're just horrible people because of the things that we believe. You know, because we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. You're just terrible people because of that. And, but it's just the truth. You know? And the tr- truth is, in this life you're going to suffer one way or the other. There's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be difficulties. But he says in verse 17, it is better if the will of God be that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And he's been encouraging them in this passage, you know, if you're going to get in trouble, you know, let it be for doing good. Okay? And we've all been in plenty of trouble in our lives, haven't we? I mean, all of us could probably testify for a while about how we have suffered in our past for things that we've done, and deservedly so. But the truth is, if you do the right thing, you're going to probably suffer sometimes. But if you're going to suffer, let it be for doing right because God's going to reward you for that. But if we're going to do that, we have to do what it says there in verse 15. We have to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. And that word sanctify... Uh, I want to read the definition. You see that word in the Bible quite a bit about sanctify, sanctification, things like that. But in a general sense, it means to cleanse or purify or make holy or to separate, to set apart or appoint to a holy, sacred or religious use. You know, for example, many times people call the audit, they might call the auditorium the sanctuary. You know, why would we call it a sanctuary? Because it's a special place that's been set apart for a specific use. Okay, we use this room for where we come and we worship, where we preach the Word of God, where we sing praises to God. We're not going to rent this building out uh, and you know take the pews out here and rent it out so people can have uh, concerts and dances and things like that. You know, this is, this is a special place. Okay? And we've, we've sanctified it, I guess you could say. You know, it's something that's been used for a specific purpose. And what I want to talk about today is sanctifying ourselves after salvation. You see, there's two kinds of sanctifications that we see. There's one, there's the sanctifying that God does. Okay. Last week, we talked about salvation. We talked about how salvation is a free gift, how there are no works required, how there are no works required to even keep your salvation. Salvation is a completely free, no strings attached. And we are sanctified. We are cleansed. We are guaranteed heaven because of the fact that we have been sanctified by God. We have been set apart by God. We have been chosen for a specific purpose. And, and thank God for that. And He has cleansed us. And only the sanctifying that God does can get us to heaven. There is no sanctifying that we can do for ourselves that will save us. That, that will never work. And so I'm just going to show you a few verses. There's a ton of verses in the New Testament. But I want to show... i got three. I want to show you how the Father... The Son and the Holy Spirit all sanctify us. They all play a part in that. Jude 1.1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father 
and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So we see we're sanctified by God the Father. Hebrews 13, 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Out the gate. Right there we see Jesus sanctified us with His blood. What is it that cleansed us of our sins? The blood of Christ. That is what sanctified us. Your changed life didn't sanctify you. It's not what cleansed you. The blood of Christ is what cleansed you. That's it. Um, Romans, or, uh, yeah, Romans 15, 16, that I should be minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So we see there that we've, we've all been sanctified through the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. They've all played a part in that. And I am saved today because of a cleansing, a sanctification that is done by God. That is why I'm going to heaven. And it's not by any works that I've done. It's, I am not going to heaven because of anything that I have added to my life or that I have taken out of my life. I'm not going to heaven because of some sin I have not done or some good thing that I have done. I talked to a guy just yesterday who asked how he knew he was going to heaven. And he started telling about all the animals he's helped. And he drove over 100 miles to help some cat and things like that. And I'm like, you know, man, that, that's great. Uh, you know, those are good things. But uh, he, he told me a really long story about all the good things that he's done. I mean, wait, I, like 10 minutes, I listened to him tell me about good things he's done. And then when I finally got a chance to talk, start giving the scriptures, oh, I don't have time. And I was like... I had to listen to how you helped that cat for 10 minutes. And you won't listen to my presentation. But, uh, you know, I'm all for being nice to animals, but that won't get you to heaven. Alright? That won't do it. You're not going to sanctify yourself. I don't care how many little kitties and puppies you go out there and you help. That won't get you into heaven. Just keep that in mind. Now, if you want to do those things, great. But that's not sanctification. And most of the time you see sanctification mentioned in the New Testament, it's God sanctifying us. It's God cleansing us. God setting us apart. And only the sanctification that comes from God can save us from our sins. Okay, But there is a sanctifying that God wants us to do after salvation. And it's real easy sometimes for us, you know, because there are so many religions out there teaching some type of works-based salvation, that a lot of times... We don't, you know, works almost becomes a bad word. But you know what? Works is not a bad word. Works is a good thing. Cleaning up your life is a good thing. Changing your life is a good thing. As long as we never get the attitude that that's what saved us. That's a, that's a bad attitude right there. But understand that God wants you to change your life. God wants you to cleanse yourself. Okay? There's a cleansing that God did. That's what's going to get us in heaven. But right here on this earth, it is just a fact, it's all over the Bible, that God wants us to clean our lives up. God wants us to sanctify ourselves. He wants us to you know, get in the Word of God and to cleanse our mind. God wants us to keep junk out of our life. He wants us to be clean vessels that He can use. He doesn't want us grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? And this might not be a perfect illustration, but I kind of like this illustration too, because it's, it's like, I'm going to get myself in trouble probably with this illustration, but you know, how many husbands before, you know, you've allowed yourself to make a mess knowing that your wife would probably clean it up, all right? Now, no, no, nobody's going to raise their hand and admit that, but we know we've all done that before. But what happens when you do that, okay? When you throw those socks right there in the middle of the floor, and, and you don't want them there forever, 
All right. <laughs> Got names already gone. But yeah, you, you know. You don't, you don't want those socks there forever. Your wife knows you don't want those socks there forever, but she knows that you know that she will pick them up. And she does pick them up, doesn't she? And she you know, puts them where they belong. But what happens when you do that? She gets upset, doesn't she? She gets grieved. That's not a good thing, okay? And she's like, you know, why can't you pick the socks up yourself? Okay? And I hate saying all these things because now my wife knows that I'm hearing these things, you know, but... I got to do this to help get the message across, no matter how much trouble I get into. But it's kind of the same thing. A lot of times as Christians, we have this attitude because we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So because we know that no matter what we're going to heaven, it's like we just think, well, you know what? I can do whatever and the Holy Spirit will keep me clean. We know what? When you do that, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You're going to have a bad relationship with God. And you know what? Yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to keep you saved. But understand, God still wants us to cleanse ourselves and to not make a mess on purpose and to do the right thing and to do our best to be clean vessels. And there is a sanctifying that we need to do. We see that there in that, in that passage. We need to set our hearts apart for God. We need to sanctify. We need to say, you know what? I've got this one body. I've got this one life. And I'm going to sanctify it. In other words, I'm going to set it apart. I'm going to reserve it for God. It's not going to be something that I use for myself and for my own pleasure and my own glorification. I'm going to live my life for God. I'm going to set it apart for Him. I'm going to do that myself. I'm going to yield to the Holy Spirit. And that is something that God wants from us in our life. That's something that we need to do in our life. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Says more. Uh, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Okay. Not only does God want you to walk a certain way, but He wants you to get better at it. Okay. He wants you to do it more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So we see here that there are specific commandments that God wants us as Christians to follow. God wants us to sanctify ourselves. God wants us to know how to possess our vessel in honor. God wants us to abstain from things like fornication. Those things, they, you know, they defile this body. They defile the temple of God. And even though we're capable of doing those things and still being saved, we shouldn't do those things. We ought to say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to keep that junk out of my life. I'm not going to do that type of wickedness. I don't want to displease God. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's like Christians, because of the, you know, a lot of Christians, they want to go to a church where it preaches that salvation is not of works. But then it's like they want to go, also go to that same church where you know, life after salvation is, isn't about works. Hey, we ought to have some works. If it's just about getting saved and that's the end of it, then why are we even having church? We're doing this too to encourage each other. We want to be better. We want to live holy lives. We want to please God. That is, that is God's will for our life. It is not God's will for you after you get saved to just keep on being wicked and just, you know, living for the devil until he returns. No, God has a will for us now. God wants us to live for him. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be, uh, to have clean lives. And go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to go through 
all of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 because this passage here is one that is greatly misused by people because you, you have the people out there who teach that, you know, if you don't change, then you're not really saved. But I'm going to show you that, once again, when it comes to salvation, that sanctification, that cleansing is 100% by God. The sanctification that I'm talking about today, this has nothing to do with salvation. This has everything to do with being right with God. And there are some uh, verses in this passage that people can get very confused by because of the fact that they don't... Once again, so many scriptures that people get wrong, it's because they fail to look at the context and often in the New Testament, it's quoting Old Testament scriptures. And if you go back and you look at the scriptures that are being quoted, it clears everything up crystal clear. And look what it says. Let's look at the end of the chapter too. Let me show you a verse that people will misuse when it comes to this passage. But um, 2 Corinthians 2, 6.16 says, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Well, what does that mean? If we don't come out from among them, if we do touch the unclean thing, God won't receive us. That kind of makes it sound like salvation by works a little bit there, right? In verse 18, and we'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now that passage is one that will often get misused. And if you just look at the whole chapter and the verses that that's quoting, it clears it all up and it, and it proves the whole point I'm, I'm wanting to make to you this morning. So look at, look at verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, We then, as workers together with Him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Okay? We've been saved, all right? But let's not receive that grace of God in vain. You know, we're workers together with Him. He's talking to believers here. He's talking to save people. Okay? And if you get saved, you can go and you can live your life for the devil and you'll still go to heaven, but understand you've been completely worthless as a Christian. You receive that grace of God in vain. You didn't help anybody out with it. That is not God's will. That is not what God wants you to do. Verse 2, For he said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That right there is quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8. It says, Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate Heritage so right there. That's a that's a verse from Isaiah that he's quoting. He's talking about there is a time of salvation coming. And here in 2 Corinthians saying, hey, this is that time. We are in that time right now. That time that was prophesied to Israel, that day of salvation is prophesied to Israel. That some people today are still acting like it's in the future. Second Corinthians six says, hey, now is that time. We are in that time that God promised to Israel. Verse three, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Okay? When we are being offensive in our behavior, when we're taking advantage of the grace of God, who ends up looking bad? God ends up looking bad. Our church ends up looking bad. If I go out and I go and I get, decide to get drunk tonight, I'm still saved, but I've now made Liberty Baptist Church look bad. The ministry is going to get blamed. People are going to look down on this church because of that, and it's going to hurt our witness. 
I've hurt the ministry as a result of that. Verse 4, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, and afflictions, and necessities, and distresses, and stripes, and imprisonments, and tumults, tumults, and labors, and watchings, and fasting, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but are straightened in your own bowels. For, now for a recompense in the same, I speak unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with burial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? He's talking to these people here that are clearly saved. And he's telling them, he's exhorting them, saying, hey, you're righteous. What communion hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? There's, you're supposed to be different. This is your role. This is God's will for your life. You are saved. This is the day of salvation. And God has an expectation from us because we are saved. And then he says in verse 16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? See, they are the temple of God. Say, you are the temple, of, for ye are the temple of the living God. And then right here, from here on out in the rest of this chapter, it's quoting Old Testament. And when we go back and we look at what the Old Testament says, it makes it so clear what he's talking about here. This is, he's clearly talking to people who are saved. There is no doubt about it that they are saved. But yet they are very capable of not acting like they're saved. And as a result of it, it hurts the ministry. It causes them to be ineffective in uh, being a Christian and in being a witness. But look what it says. He says, As God hath said, he's quoting Old Testament, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, I love this too because for the people who still want to act like a lot of those promises to Israel are yet to be fulfilled, this, path, this chapter right here kills it. Because I, I, you're not going to have time to turn all of them. I'm going to read them real quick. He quotes right here in this passage. He is quoting a lot of Old Testament Scripture. Okay? So we said, As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Who is he talking about there? Exodus 29.45 And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Jeremiah 30, 22, And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah 31, 1, And at the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 32, 38, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel 37, 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle shall also be with them. Yea, I will be their God 
and they shall be my people. Now, all of those were to Israel, right? These are those everlasting promises to Israel. And in 2 Corinthians 6, he's saying, hey, this is that day of salvation. He's saying that to the Corinthians. He's saying your body is that temple. He's referring back to these passages in the Old Testament where God said He was going to dwell among them. In their minds back then in the Old Testament, they're probably thinking, well, you know, in that tabernacle or in that temple. But here in the New Testament, it's revealed that, hey, that day has come and you know what? God is dwelling among us. In fact, He is in your... He dwells inside of you. Your body is the very temple of God. And while back in the Old Testament, they had a very high regard for that temple. It was a very special place. It was a sanctified place. It was a holy place. God is trying to show them here that you know what? It's not that building anymore. Your body is now the temple. Why? Because Christ dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And you know what? We ought to live like it. We ought to act like it. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 16 or 6 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. A lot of people read this, and it's like, you know, this is a command right now for us. Like, God's, tell, God's telling you, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Well, wait, do we have to come out from among the people in order to be saved? That makes the workspace salvation, right? Well, why is it saying that? Because that is quoting an Old Testament passage. Let's look at it. Uh, Leviticus 26 and verse 11 says, And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. We see that God's going to set His tabernacle among you, and He's not going to abhor us. Okay? We're not going to be discussing him. Why? Because he's going to cleanse us. All right? he's going, he is going to separate us. He is going to sanctify us. He's going to set us apart. Zechariah 8, 8. And I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. So these, that passage, verse 17 and 18, um, you know, that's what was those, it was quoting all those Old Testament passages where we see how God was going to separate them. God was going to sanctify Israel. God was going to set them apart. And that is what God did for us. When we got saved, we got separated. Okay? God separated us. God sanctified us. God set us apart. Those things are already done by God. We have already been received by God when we call on Him for salvation. But understand that there is another sanctifying sanctification that we need, that we need to do ourselves. There is a separating that we need to do ourselves, but once again, that's not what causes us to get saved. Okay? That was already done, and that's what he's showing them there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Hey, God has already separated you. God has sanctified you. God has made your body His temple. So you know what? Why in the world would you live like the Gentiles? Why in the world would you live like the rest of the world? Why would you do that? You're special. So when you read 2 Corinthians 6, with all those passages that quotes from the Old Testament, you know, you see it clearly teaches that what sanctifies us and separates us is God when it comes to salvation. But you'll also see in 2 Corinthians 6, while he's showing them, hey, God fulfilled those promises that he made to Israel and you all are in on it. 
You've been set apart. You've been sanctified. He's dwelling amongst us. He's in your body. But you know what? You still need to act like it. You need to be that way. And you know what? As, as a pastor, it's my responsibility. One of my responsibilities is to preach the commandments of God to you and reprove and rebuke and exhort. And that's why we preach against sin. And that's why even though we're saved without works, we still preach about doing works all the time. We still preach about living a good life and about being a witness and all those things. And so this passage, it doesn't teach that a Christian who doesn't practice separation is not saved. Because there's a lot of people that God has separated, but yet they've not separated themselves. Those people are still saved. You know, Christ sanctified and separated us already. This passage also doesn't teach that we have to be that we have to separate ourselves to be received by God. We did need to be separated to be received by God, but who separated us? God did. And there's many passages we could look at to prove that too. We're not going to take time to do that. But what this passage is teaching is that when we get saved, God is not done with us. He wants us to start cleansing ourselves. Look at chapter 7. So we at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, because you have these promises, because you know that you're saved, because you know that you've been set apart, you've been sanctified by God, because you know that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you, because you have these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You all see that? God didn't want you after you got saved to say, all right. I'm clean. I'm done. You know, I'm going to go back and watch my soap operas. You know, I'm going to go back and listen to my rock music. I'm going to go back and smoke my dope and, and do all those things. No, God said, hey, let, do something with your life. Hey, since you have these promises, why don't you do something with it? I've given you this great gift. Why don't you enjoy it? Okay, If one of you came to me and you gave me just this super nice car. I mean, you, you gave me this nice car. It was an expensive car. Brand new. This is yours. I want you to have this. And I want you to enjoy it. And then I thank you. I, I accept that gift. I've got it. It's mine. I've got the car. The title's in my name. It's mine. But then I just park it in my garage and I never do anything with it. That's probably going to hurt your feelings, isn't it? You're going to want to see me driving around in that car. You're going to want to see me using that wonderful gift that you gave me. You're going to want to see me enjoying that. You're not going to, and you're going to get your feelings hurt. If I don't do anything with it, I've still got it. It's mine, but I've not used it. You gave that to me for my good, for my own use. If you see me walking to church all the time, I'm walking my whole family to church. And I'm like, why are you doing that? You can drive. You've got a nice vehicle. Why don't you take advantage of it? Why don't you use it? That's how God feels about us. When he has saved us, he's given us the Holy Spirit. And yet we're still living like the devil. We're still living like the rest of the world. And God's given us the Holy Spirit to help guide us and direct us. He's given us his word. You know, he'll give us strength when we ask for it, when we, when we need it. And he wants us to be able to use this salvation now on earth for our benefit, so we don't have to live a horrible life. So we don't have to deal with the struggles and the misery of sin. God wants us to use that salvation to our benefit. And many times, Christian people, they don't do it. They would rather live like lost people. They would rather let that nice car just sit in their garage instead of using it. And that's a shame. That's a total shame when that happens. And so we need to understand that, you know, now that we are saved, you know, he's told us, all right, cleanse yourselves. 
from all filthiness. We need to say, God wants us to do our best. It, what, you know, what's God's will now? All right, I'm saved. What now? You get somebody saved. You know, we're supposed to try to disciple those people. We're supposed to try to get them following the things of God. What's next after salvation? Because there, God still has a plan. God still has a will. God wants us to do our best to live holy lives. First Peter chapter one and verse thirteen. Turn over there. It says, "Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance." But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You all see that right there? God's telling us, hey, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end. Salvation is coming. You're going to be like Christ someday. We're trying right now. You know, we fail all the time. We mess up. But thank God we've got that advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. But the Bible says every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We should be trying to be like Christ. We shouldn't be fashioning ourselves okay, like the world. Okay, and to fashion something, you know, means to mold something. If I was to fashion, you know, a stone into the image of a person, all right, we should not be fashioning ourselves into the image of this world. I shouldn't look like the world. I shouldn't dress like the world. I shouldn't talk like the world. I shouldn't, you know, have the same morals as the world. There should be a clear difference. Was there not a clear difference between Jesus Christ and the rest of the world? Absolutely there was. And the Bible says we're supposed to let our light shine before men so they'll see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And it is of the utmost importance. It is God's will for you, if you are saved, to clean up your life, to cleanse yourself. And so we can, we can make a difference. We don't need to be like the world. And you know what? I don't know. I thank God we don't have to be like the world. I thank God I don't have to wear skinny jeans. I thank God that while the rest of the world's getting effeminate, I don't have to. I can still be a man. In fact, I'm commanded to be a man. There's some commandments in the Bible I'm not real excited about, but you know, there's some I'm, I'm real excited about. Yeah, I'm all for that one. I, I, I'm all for that. There's a lot of things that, that I actually like in the commandments. I'm, I, you know, I don't have to wear skinny jeans and I don't have to wear droopy drawers. I don't have to wear saggy pants. I can wear pants that fit me. And I thank God for that. I can get a haircut like a man and I don't have to look, you know, be a long-haired hippie. I don't have to pierce my body up. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't even like getting a shot, let alone a piercing. Forget about that. I don't have to do those things. I don't have to wear necklaces and all that kind of junk. I, I, don't, I don't have to do anything girly. I don't need to talk like a girl. No, I, I don't have to do any of that stuff. And yet the world, we just see them doing that and it's disgusting i i don't i don't have to do that i don't have to fashion myself after them i don't have to look like them i don't have to dress like them and thank god for that and god wants god wants us to look like christians god wants us to act like christians he specifically mentions not fashioning yourselves like we don't we don't want to be that way and god and then uh, ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 go ahead and turn over to ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 so it's God's will for us to do our best to live holy lives. It's His will for us to look like Christians, to act like Christians. 
And you know what? It's God's will for us to do good works. Now, I know we're not saved by works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. Okay? The fact that I'm saved is because of something that God has done. It's because of something that God has done in my life. I am His workmanship, alright? And notice what... Okay, oh, uh, His workmanship. I'm something that He has made. I'm something that you know, He has accomplished. Okay? And notice it says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that ye should walk in them. God has made us to do good works. That's what, that's what we've been made for. That was, that was our, that's the purpose that we serve. And it is God's will for us to do good work. It, it's God's will for you to help your neighbor and to love your neighbor and to you know, visit, the, you know, visit the sick and do whatever you can to help people. And you know what? It's even God's will too for you to go ahead and help those little puppy dogs and kitty cats and drive 100 miles to, to help them out. That's God's will for you to do that. All right? yeah, Brother Garmin, he knows what I'm talking about. He, he saved that dog that was hurt out in the woods, took it to a vet, took care of it, got the thing all healed up, loved the thing, brought it home, took care of it. Hey, that's nice. Alright? That's good. That's God's will. Yeah, but it won't get you to heaven. It won't. Even if He would have done that for a person, that wouldn't have got Him to heaven. But is it good? Is it okay to do good things? Absolutely. In fact, it's God's will for us to do good things. You know what? Go out there and do something nice for somebody. Go out and help somebody out. Do a good work for somebody. Go ahead. You know, buy a meal for somebody. Do some kind of good thing. Hey, whatever you can do, but that is God's will. Just don't ever get the attitude that that is what saved you. And that's why you're saved. Okay? When somebody comes and knocks on your door, hey, how do you know that you're going to heaven? Don't tell you know, Brother Garmer, don't tell them about the dog you saved. All right? You know, don't, don't do that. Okay? Those things are God's will. And don't tell anybody, all right, if by some strange happening, somebody from one of the other Baptist churches came in town and they said, you know, hey, and they actually knocked on your door and said, hey, what does it take to get to heaven? You say, well, I go to Liberty Baptist Church. Don't tell them that. Hey, it's God's will for you to go to Liberty Baptist Church, but that won't get you to heaven. You've got to put your faith and trust in Christ. You've got to have Him sanctify you and set you apart. But yes, it is God's will. After that, new subject, I'm saved. What do I do now? It's God's will for you to do good works. Go do something for somebody. Go find, I don't know what to do. Find something. Come ask me. I'll give you some good works to do. You know, I don't know who to be a blessing to. Go ahead. All right. If you, need, if you can't find anybody, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer. All right. Bless me. All right. It doesn't have to be me. But if you can't find anybody, I'm one suggestion. All right. And there's a whole bunch of suggestions around here. Do good works. Go help somebody. That is God's will. That's how we let our light shine. They will see your good works. But just don't ever send the, mes- send the message that these things or why I'm going to heaven. Don't, don't do that. Look at John 15, 8. It's also God's will. Real quickly, I'm almost done. It's God's will for us to be His disciples. John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You know, there's a lot of people that are saved, but they're not disciples. They're not following Christ. They've received the free gift. They're saved, but they're not following Christ. They're not His disciples. And a disciple is one we see here that bears much fruit. 
If we're following after Christ, you know what that means? It means we're going to be telling other people about Jesus. We're going to be telling other people about how to get saved. That's what a disciple does. A disciple is a soul winner. A disciple is someone who brings people to Christ. And that is God's will. That is God's will for you. If you are saved, God wants you to spread the gospel. Not the lost people. Everybody, everybody's you know, waiting for that new Hollywood movie to come out to help spread the gospel. I remember when Chronicles of Narnia came out, I watched some stupid Christian lady on the news just talking about how many people are going to get saved because of Chronicles of Narnia. They don't even say the name of Jesus in that movie. There's a, a poor, creepy, blasphemous you know, imitation. You know, or, uh, and it just, are you serious? People think somebody's going to get saved because of Chronicles of Narnia? That is ridiculous. You know, we don't need Hollywood to make Christian movies to help get the message out there. God's people need to spread the gospel. God's people need to be a light. God's people need to tell us about Jesus. Hollywood can't get the Bible stuff right. They can't even get it close. And it is our job, it is God's will for us to do it. It is not God's will for Congress. All right? They're not going to do it. It's, you know, Fox News isn't going to help us out. We've got to do this ourselves. And it is God's will for us to do it. God wants us to win souls. That's God's will. God wants us to be disciples. If we're being disciples of Christ, we're going to be a follower of Christ. If we're a follower of Christ, we're going to do things Christ would do. We're going to act like Christ acted. We're going to go where He would go. Okay, whenever we do anything that, you know, act, you know whenever we, you know, follow somebody, act with somebody, you know, we refer to them as a disciple, Right? Well, if we're a disciple of Christ, we're going to be acting like Christ. We're going to be talking like Christ. We're going to be doing the things that He did. And it is of the utmost importance that while we do all these things, that we never, ever forget what actually saved us. Because this is what happens, okay? People get saved. They get saved the right way. They're on their way to heaven. And then they start sanctifying themselves. They start doing God's will for their life. But what ends up happening many times People start looking at themselves and seeing all that they've accomplished. They start getting pretty proud of themselves and thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. And in 2 Corinthians 11.3, I like what it says here. It says, but I fear lest by any means as the servant beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom ye have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm afraid you're getting corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. And I've seen that before where people that I believe were saved, that taught the truth, it's like all of a sudden they get to this point in their life where they're so spiritual, they start looking down on everybody else. And then they start thinking, and then maybe somebody comes and they, they get saved, they make profession, but they don't sanctify themselves. And what do these Pharisees do? They're not really saved. You know, when you start sending that message, that message right there, it starts corrupting the gospel. And they do. They start preaching a repent of your sins gospel. You've got to turn your life around gospel. And you know what? That is another gospel that it refers to there. That's another gospel. And we've got to watch out for this. And that, that is a dangerous thing. I've been in some churches before where I've been pretty impressed with the people. You know, as far as their sanctification they have done. But then at the same time, I I remember one of the most impressive churches I ever went to. I mean, impressive as far as the people, how they dressed. I mean, their music, everything was just, I mean, it was top notch. You know, the only thing that I noticed bad on, they were a little snobby. All right. And this was about 
This was about 15 years ago. Actually, a little more than that. It was back in 2000 I went to this church. Well, I came across their YouTube channel the other day. And I was watching one of the sermons on there. And let me tell you, this church has still got the outward sanctification going. They're doing great in that area. But I listened to that pastor get up and preach a false and phony works-based gospel. And I'm telling you right now, what is being taught in that church is not getting people saved. They're doing outward sanctification, but outward sanctification, the sanctification we do, it can't save us. They've got to have the sanctification that God does, and that comes from faith in Christ, and that's it. And it's, you know what? It's a waste of time for you to sanctify yourself without having God's sanctification. You need to get that first, and then once you get that, then you start sanctifying yourself. Don't get that backwards. Alright? And you can have God's sanctification and not sanctify yourself, and you'll still go to heaven, but you won't be a disciple. You won't be happy. You won't be a good Christian. You won't be in the will of God. We need to do that too. And that's why we're going to keep on preaching about all the commands of God and teaching the principles of God why it's for our sanctification because we're trying to clean ourselves up. We have the hope that we're going to be like Christ one day. So in the meantime, until Jesus Christ comes back and changes us, we're going to do our best to be like Him and just however we can. And so I hope that was a help to you. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for Your promises. Dear God, I pray that You will help us to practice sanctifying ourselves, Lord, that we won't take advantage of Your grace that we will, uh, Lord, that we'll use it to accomplish great things for you, that we'll have good works in our lives, so we can let our light shine, and we can bring more people to you. And I pray, Lord, you'll raise up disciples in this church that will go out and will help bring forth fruit, Lord. They'll go out and will preach the gospel and will win souls to you. And we thank you so much for saving us and cleansing us. In your name we pray. Amen.